Well, Josh is definitely one of my oldest friends. Not that he's old, I'm actually much older than him. There's this song that uh, just resonates in my mind uh, by Ben Rector called Old Friends. And there's, there's nothing like old friends. And, uh, so thanks for inviting me. I want you to take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. If you need a title for today's message, I titled it The Gift of Forgiveness. Simple title. Familiar passage. When you were growing up, what was the best gift that you ever received for Christmas? I think way, 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 way back, I was... It's sad to admit this, but I, I, I wanted a pound puppy. How many of you guys are familiar with a pound puppy? I desperately wanted one of those, and I did get one for Christmas. It's a stuffed animal. I, I wish it was a more manly gift, but, you know, that's what I was really wanted for Christmas. In the hustle and bustle of Christmas, though, we can often forget what Christmas is about. We develop what, what I like to call a consumer mentality where we consume Christ. We've been spending time at our church body in the book of Malachi. Let me give you just a little review of Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Bible, of the Old Testament part of the Bible. And Malachi is this prophet. In this time during Malachi's prophecy, the people were supposed to be in revival. They had just come out of exile. They had built the wall, built a temple, and uh, this was supposed to be the golden years for Israel. And yet, if you have read the book of Malachi, it is a book of judgment. And it is a, it's a sad book, and it ends with a little glimmer of hope at the end of the book. But then for 400 years, God doesn't speak. Not through a prophet. Not through any leader. God just stops speaking to his children, Israel. And it's, it's, it's deafening. The silence is deafening. And the book of Malachi is trying to address this mentality that we have where we're looking for worship in a discount way. Discount worship is what I like to call it. It's okay to get a discount in shopping. It's okay to go out and try to get the lowest price at Costco but not in worship. So the people were wandering away from God. They wanted the benefits of God without the relationship with God. And so for 400 years, God doesn't speak. They developed this worship, this consumer mentality. And this morning, I really want to help you develop a worship mentality this Christmas season in Advent. This week in Advent calendar is the week of peace, if you do the candles. And peace in our world is fleeting. We're in constant conflict everywhere we go. So today, as we look at a very familiar prayer, I'm hoping it'll stir some peace in your heart. As we look at something very countercultural, 
as we look at Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, I want peace to stir in your heart. I've been reading this book by D.J. Marota, who is an Anglican priest. It's called Liturgy in the Wilderness. And he talks about how we as Christians are supposed to kind of interact with the world. He said, we take three different ways of interacting with the world. We see the conflict in the world. We, we can take a defensive posture where we kind of insulate ourselves and we retreat from the world and we get very fear-based. That's one posture we can take with the world. Another posture is we kind of take this passive posture. We just go with the flow. We're like, okay, you know, that's the way the world's going. We'll go with the flow. Or a third posture we take is an aggressive posture. Instead of retreating, we just go after it. We get very aggressive and angry. And in this book, Liturgy in the Wilderness, he says there's really a, a better way than all three of those ways. He calls it a fourth way. It's a subversive way, a sideswipe with culture. That's what the Lord's Prayer is. You know, instead of arguing for capitalism in China, what, what the government and people often do is they open a capitalistic kind of business like Starbucks in China. Instead of Hollywood telling us divorce is great with a graph, they make movies that depict it to be very okay. I want to introduce you to one of the most submersive prayers and one of the most submersive lines in the prayer. So here's what I want you to do. There's something real easy. I want you all to stand because I want to read this prayer to you. You're familiar with it. Probably you could close your eyes and recite it back to me. But I want to read this to you because it's, it's, it's such a beautiful prayer. It goes like this in verse 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to jump into this, and I'm going to just pick out one line. That's what we're going to focus on today. Father, I do pray that you will block out the many distractions and burdens that are upon our hearts as we walk into this room today. And I know they are many and multicolored. There are many things that we could be thinking about at this moment, Lord, and I just pray that you would help us to hear your voice through the word of God. And Lord, help us to see the power of forgiveness, to embrace the forgiveness that we've been given at the cross, and to see you more clearly, and to love you more dearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. Look down at verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Think about that for a minute. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. See, forgiveness isn't 
just a little piece of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. You can have no relationships, no endearing relationships without forgiveness. Forgiven people forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ and God forgave you. Henry Nouwen says this, Forgiveness is the name of love practiced among people who love poorly. The hard truth is that all people love poorly. We need to forgive and to be forgiven every day, every hour, increasingly. That is the great work of love among the fellowship of the weak that is the human family. We, we love poorly. We need to learn how to love one another, and forgiveness is, is, is one of those ways. This, this part of this prayer could really be titled this, Help me to forgive, Lord. Help me to forgive. See, we all need forgiveness. You see it right there in verse 12. Forgive us our debts. And if you're in Christ Jesus, you have forgiveness, right? Amen? We all need forgiveness. And the coming of Christ as our Savior reminds us of that. That's one of the things that we are reminded of during this Advent season. Christ didn't just come as a baby in a manger. He came and he lived the perfect life that we don't live. He died to death that we all deserve. And we trust in his sacrifice, his sacrifice alone. It's not by our works, but his finished work that we are saved. My favorite verse in all the Bible is, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 We all need forgiveness. And we have forgiveness in Christ. But we also need to ask and grant forgiveness to others. Notice the second part of that phrase. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we've forgiven our debtors. Now before we get any further, let me just give you a little definition of forgiveness. I've, I've heard this somewhere. I wish I could tell you where I heard it from. I don't remember. But it's this. Forgiveness is the decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured me. Notice that it's the decision to release a person. It's an action. It's not a feeling. It's more than a feeling. Over 143 times in the Bible... The word forgiveness is, is, is used. There's an offense and it must be paid and so you choose to pay it. You lay down in that offense. Forgiveness doesn't minimize the offense, it pays it. It pays it. Now it's not just in the New Testament, the concept of forgiveness is all throughout the Old Testament. Leviticus 25 talks about it in the year of Jubilee. You've got in Leviticus 25, he talks about the Sabbath year where they were to work the land for six years and to take a year of break. And then right after that, it launches into this description of a year of Jubilee. It's like between the 49th and 50th year, uh, everyone was to return to the property that they had. And debts were forgiven. It was kind of like a re reset button for all the people of Israel. It was a reminder that no one owned the land but God. 
And it was a reminder that even those who were more wealthy would not continue to be wealthy by suppressing the poor. So how can a society, like the society that we live in, a society of sinful people thrive? Here's how it happens. When grace and forgiveness are its foundation, not fairness and natural consequences. See, forgiveness doesn't minimize the offense. It pays for it. It's more than a feeling. It's an act of your will. Let me demonstrate this for you. I want you to raise your hand. See, I see the rule followers and the non-rule followers, all right? Some of you are like, yeah, I'll raise my hand. You put your hands down. You say, yeah, I'm going to raise my hand. Yeah, that seems like logical. It's an act of your will. You chose to raise your hand, and the non-rule followers are like, I ain't raising my hand. This is church here on Sunday. I'm not... I don't know this guy. What's he going to make me do, right? It's an act of your will. Whether or not you do that, same thing with forgiveness. It's a choice. It's an act of your will as to whether or not you forgive. I choose to forgive. Lord, help me to forgive. Look back at verse 12 again in, in light of that. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. That word debts, our sins, our trespasses, our transgressions, our missing the mark. Our greatest problem is sin, and our greatest need is forgiveness. We've racked up a debt that we could never pay, ever. And either Jesus pays it, or you're going to pay it. I love this phrase, the classic hymn, Jesus, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. I love that imagery. Beautiful imagery of forgiveness. Now drop down to verse 14 because just so we don't miss this, and all the phrases in the Lord's Prayer, and there are different phrases to this prayer as the model prayer, he takes this one phrase and he expands upon it. Look at verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Can you grasp that? Do you understand what Jesus is saying there? It's, it's profoundly convicting when you think about it. You know what you're saying when you read that? You're saying this, God forgive me like I forgive everyone else. In that same way, in that forgiveness heart of you, I, 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 I want you to forgive me like I forgive everyone else. That's profoundly convicting when you think about it. Now, does that mean that we have to earn our forgiveness? No. But you're saying this, God, I want you to have a heart of forgiveness towards me like, like I demonstrate to everyone else. That's assuming that you have a forgiving heart to everyone else. And so I don't know many of you very, very well. Um, you know, I asked Josh, hey, hey, what should I preach on when I come here? And he said, preach on forgiveness. I said, okay. And that's all the guidance I got, by the way. Just preach on forgiveness. And I was like, all right, I'll jump in. But we, we come up with a lot of reasons why we don't forgive, right? 
And I was looking through my notes. I've preached on forgiveness before. I just preached through the Lord's Prayer this fall in our church. And I had five reasons why we don't forgive. And I'm not a guy that does a lot of lists, but I had these reasons. And here's, here's a couple of the reasons why we don't forgive other people. The first one is this. The hurt is too great. Like, man, they really hurt me. You know, Pastor Hayden, if you knew what they did to me, you wouldn't be up there telling me I need to forgive them. You'd be like, hmm, maybe that's an exception to the rule. It isn't. Very rarely do we estimate or calculate the hurt and the offense. We don't do this well. You may be sitting there in your mind, have someone in your mind right now that you know you need to forgive, but you're saying to yourself, they don't deserve it. Right, they don't. We don't. They don't deserve it. That's why prayer exists. One of the reasons why we don't forgive is we, we think the hurt's too great. Another one is this. Number two, we don't understand forgiveness. We really don't understand forgiveness. I want you to hear these words, very common, very, very, very well-known to you at this church. Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who are the ungodly in this passage? Yeah, you point to yourself, right? Christ died for the ungodly. Did we deserve the forgiveness of Christ? No, we didn't. He died for the ungodly. And then it goes on to say this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's like, whoa. One of the reasons why we don't forgive is we don't understand the forgiveness that we've been given in Christ. Another reason why we don't forgive is it takes a lot of work. Forgiveness is often described as a crisis and a process. You have this crisis moment. I see this person coming towards me. I've held a grudge against them. They've offended me. I have to forgive them. Crisis, right? And then it's a process each time I see them. You've got to go through this again. The, the, the process is this. Look, I'm not going to bring it up to them. I'm not going to bring it up to other people. And I'm not going to bring it up to myself. So you go through this crisis and process each time. When you know you need to forgive, you're like, I know I need to forgive. But it's hard. Again, that's why we pray. We, we don't forgive because it takes a lot of work. Another reason why we don't forgive is we, we sometimes have this phrase in our culture, I need to forget before I forgive. It's backwards. You will not forgive. You will not forget unless you forgive. You'll never forget. We, we sometimes get this idea of forgiveness as kind of like, oh, I forgot it even happened. That's illogical, okay? It's a choice not to hold it against that person. Another reason is this. A lot of times we're like, you know what? You don't know what I've gone through. If, if I forgive them, they're just going to do it again. To which I would respond, maybe. But maybe not. You can let them off the hook. God knows. 
God knows. DJ Moroto says this, forgiveness means, listen to this, that for a Christian, the world is not a place of fairness and natural consequences. You hear that? It's not a place of fairness and natural consequences. So maybe you're sitting there today and you're kind of like me. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hard-headed. I need some examples. And so you're probably sitting there going, you know what, I wish Jesus gave us an example of this. Guess what? He did. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Proceeding in Matthew chapter 18, we're going to put in a little bit further down in verse 21. But up until this point, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. He's talking to them, and they're fighting about who should be the greatest. And then he's talking about, um, you know, temptation to sin. He gives a, little, a parable of the lost sheep. And then Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, talks about the, what we would call the, the church discipline or church reconciliation process. And so he's, he's, he's spelling this out, and the disciples are there. Peter, being one of the disciples, is there. And Peter kind of wanders a little bit. Does that ever happen? Somebody's having a conversation with you, and you, you kind of wonder, you're like, hey, I wonder what that means. Well, Peter has that moment right before he speaks. Look at verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Wow, that's, that's interesting. Why, why did he choose seven? Why didn't he choose a different number? Well, well known at that time, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, said you only had to forgive someone three times, and then you were off the hook. So Peter, being the overachiever that Peter is, said, you know what, I'm going to double that and add one. So seven times. So Peter's like, hey, you know, Jesus, seven times, that's pretty good, isn't it? How many of you guys think Jesus was impressed by that? No, he was not. Peter's over here patting himself on the back. Hey, I'm doing really well. And Jesus launches into this, this story about forgiveness. Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. That's shorthand for an uncountable amount of times. This is not new math. This is kingdom math. It's something much different than all around them. It wasn't like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, well, I'm good to go. It's not like 490 on the 491st, I'm good to go. I don't have to forgive him. It's a different type of math. It, it reminds us this, that forgiveness is without limits. Verse 23 says this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. I don't know if you underline in your Bible, but underline that first phrase right there. The kingdom of heaven. See, what Jesus is talking about is, is not the kingdom of this earth, but the kingdom of heaven, right? So he's making a comparison to something greater than what we just see. Because if we go along with the culture and the world around us, we're looking at the kingdom of the world, right? But Jesus is saying this, look, look, look I'm, I'm trying to get your focus vertical. 
not horizontal. I want you to see something greater than you would normally see. So he says, the, the kingdom of heaven. See, forgiveness isn't natural. It doesn't come from within. It's supernatural. We, we, we can't just do this on our own. It's not like, you know what, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to gut it out, and I'm going to forgive today. Jesus is reminding us that we need his help to forgive. It's not just a natural thing we can do. It's supernatural. So verse 24, he goes on and says this. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So that word talent there is not some special talent that we have. It was a measure of money. And I looked it up because I was like, man, I wonder how much that would be. That's about 20 years of wages. So when he says 10,000 talents, that's 200,000 years of wages. This man could never pay this debt. Ever. Now just so we don't lose track of this story, who's the king in the story? God. Who are we in this story? The man with the debt that we could never pay. Ever. Ever. No matter how hard we worked, no matter how long we worked, we could never pay this debt. See, the gospel is good news because Jesus paid the debt that we could never pay. Amen? That's why it's good news. So he's making this contrast. He's saying, look, there's this guy. We, we don't know how he accrued the debt. We don't know how long it took him to uh, have that debt. But we know that this debt was unpayable. It was unpayable. Verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Let me ask you a question. If he had more time, could he ever pay this debt? The answer is no. He's pleading for time. Time is not the problem. It's the fact that the debt is so great he could never pay. Never, ever, ever pay it. See, forgiveness is undeserved. Micah 7.18 reminds us of this. And I love this. I love how the prophets, in times of judgment, as you're reading through the prophets, they'll say some things that are very, very direct, and then they'll launch into little phrases like this. And Micah 7.18 says this. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. Micah's like, who's a God like you that would forgive like this? He says he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. In the, the midst of judgment that you see in the prophets as they're pouring out statements of judgment, you see these little phrases of, of grace and forgiveness where, where, where the prophet is like, who's a God like you? Answer, no one. And that's exactly what's going on here. Jesus is setting the stage for this. Verse 28, he goes on and says this, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 
a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. After, after this debt being paid by the, the king, he goes out and he goes after a guy that owes him a very little. If you were to look it up, it's something like, I don't know, $1,000. Very, very, it's like one seven hundredth thousandth of what he owed. So very little. He began to choke him and say, pay what you owe. Verse 29, so his fellow servants fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Look at that phrase, have patience with me. Same phrase, right? You just heard him say that to the king and now it's being repeated back to him. Have patience with me. And I will pay back what I owe. Verse 30, but he refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. If you were there hearing this, you would almost audibly gasp. Like, what? No way. It was scandalous what was being done. And how do I know that? Because the next phrase tells us that. <laughs> Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and went and reported to their master all that had taken place. See, forgiveness is undeserved. Forgiveness is supernatural. And unforgiveness doesn't just hurt you. It affects everyone around you. It stirs up everyone else around you. Forgiving people doesn't save anyone, but unforgiveness hurts you. He goes on in verse 32, he, he, he says this phrase, and there's a lot of debate over this. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Verse 34, and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is a warning. This is a warning against the prison of unforgiveness that you can imprison yourself in. Forgiving people doesn't save you. It actually frees you from the prison of your own making. A lot of times we estimate things like this. God, I want mercy for me, judgment for them, right? I've heard it said, again, I don't remember who said it. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It's been passed down in folklore from person to person. I don't know who said that, but it's... It's very helpful. James 2.13 says this, For judgment is without mercy to the one who's shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Forgiven people forgive. An unforgiving heart is an unbelieving heart that doesn't believe in the power of the gospel. It's someone who's forgotten the gospel. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, help me to forgive this Christmas season. 
Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Here's what I want to do. I want to make a personal application for you right here at the end. You can close your Bibles if you want to do that. I want you to just sit here, just in the quiet of the YMCA in Bloomington, Indiana. I just want you to sit here and pray for someone that you need to forgive. I want you to just sit here in the quietness and pray for someone that you need to forgive. Or someone you need to go and ask for forgiveness from. I know in a room this size there's a lot of hurt and a lot of need for forgiveness forgiveness in our marriages forgiveness in our families forgiveness with our extended family Forgiveness in our communities. And Lord, I pray in this time of no peace that we would have the peace of knowing that we have forgiveness in Christ and that we would give that, that peace away by forgiving others and not making people pay by our silence, not making people pay by our anger not making people pay by retreating, but give us the strength, give us the energy, give us the courage to lean in to these relationships where forgiveness is needed and shine the light of the gospel. Lord, we need your help to do that. We can't do that. So I pray that in this moment that you would remind us of the forgiveness we have in Christ and encourage us. Father, help us as we walk away from this place to not be the same people that we were when we walked in. We, we, we hear from your word and know that it is you speaking to our hearts. I pray that you'll help us uh, to live out the gospel truth that we know. May it go from our heads to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.